0: A round of applause. That takes a lot to make that happen, and I don't ever want anybody to think we take it for granted. So thank you all for participating. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Revelation Rock. It's good to see everybody. Oh, it's it's good to be here. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. And it's good that the sun is shining. This is kind of a novelty in February. We have the sun shining, and it's like the, I don't know, fourth day in the last week that the sun's been out, and I'm grateful for that. There's something about the sunshine just changes everything. Good to see everybody. Um, welcome to our family room. It's, we call it the family room because this is where we do family things. We have family discussions. Some of them we... We misspeak sometimes, we say things off, we bring our cares and concerns, we bring our things that we need each other to stand in faith with us for. I think, I just want to kind of circle back to what Tom was talking about. When Grant Fraley was here and ministered, he was talking about, there was a time when he was in the hospital, they were in the hospital with Jordy, their oldest, um, and this woman asked them, not what can you believe God for from the standpoint of like how crazy can you get? That wasn't the context of it. The context was that like as life happens, there comes to there comes a point in time where the only I'll say and I this sounds weird, this sounds materialistic, and I don't mean it, but where the only thing we can believe Jesus for is another hour. It's like I'm I can we believe that we're gonna Sleep tonight and tomorrow's gonna be a good day. Like, you know, a lot of times when you hear, what can you believe God for? You think like, I'm gonna believe God for a million dollars or for a new car or whatever. And that's really not the context. The context is like, what are you able to believe Jesus completely and entirely for? And a lot of times, most commonly, and I think biblically sound is our daily bread and another moment, another day. And I, I, I love that. I love that concept, being here in the family room. How can we encourage each other? And it fits so uh, well into what we're talking about this morning. For those of you that maybe haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, or you haven't listened, if you weren't here and you haven't listened online or anything, we've been kind of in an interesting uh, sermon series, not the most popular certainly doesn't like doesn't fill seats. It's not like real entertaining. We've been in this sermon series titled, The Gospel, Then What? And it's not to add to the gospel, which is what you initially hear. You read that title, you hear that title, and it's like, oh, so you're adding to the gospel. No, we're not adding to the gospel. What we're doing is we're learning to be stewards, like Paul told Timothy, we're learning to be a steward, rightly dividing the word of truth. We're learning to read read the scripture that we've been given in its entirety and what we've found week after week after week we're at week I think four or five now of this is scripture is replete with examples of instructions on how to live as a believer and that's not super popular because how many of you like to be told what to do or how to do it? All the time Tom like Jody is sitting right beside you Okay. He likes, oh, yes, yes, Tom enjoys being, I missed that, yes. Other than Tom, anybody, we don't, you guys want to chat, you guys can chat, we can, we're good at being told what to do. As humans, we don't love to be told what to do. We don't like to be told how to live. We especially don't like to be told what to do or how to live in an area of our lives that's a struggle. I thought that would go over about like that. Like wherever, an area where it's like, well, we've kind of tangled with that a little bit. And then somebody comes along like, yeah, absolutely, that's not really a great way to live. We're like, that we just kind of resist. It's like, no, I don't need that. And there's a reality. We talked about this. I've, I've, been, I've been working on my reviews. I'm getting them down to about 30 minutes for a review today. The first thing that we're always gonna talk about with this sermon series is the equation metaphor. Everybody remember this? I give you a two, another two, a plus symbol, an equal symbol, and a four, and you can arrange them in a true equation. Built into the word equation is equals. You could make them equal out, but you can also arrange them in a way that's untrue, right? Right? You can put two plus four equals two. Well, that's not a true equation. You can use all the pieces. In the same way, our right standing with the Father has been assembled or arranged in an equation format that often is not true. We start with grace, which is God's part. Free gift of salvation. Our part is to believe, that's faith. So we got grace plus faith. And then for a long, long time, a lot of Christianity put behavior... You know, plus behavior, so you got grace, plus faith, plus behavior, equals right standing with the Father. Now, how many of you know that's not a true equation? So what we did, we knew that wasn't a true equation, so we just whited that out. I'm saying we, not here. I'm saying Christianity in general, a large swath of us, we just wiped out the behavior and the right living. It's like, I don't know, we don't really know where it fits, so we'll just white it out, which is also not a true equation, so we've been studying through Scripture that the proper equation is grace. That's God's part. We have nothing to do with it. We were dead in our sins. A dead person can't do anything to revive themselves. Grace is God's part. Our part is to believe. The work of the new covenant is to believe, to put our faith in Jesus, in Jesus alone. We spent an extensive amount of time the first two weeks talking about if we believe, if we reach for the life saving ring, and we're in the pool drowning. We reach for the ring in our reach. There is an admission that we can't do it on our own. That makes sense, everybody? If you're in the pool and you're drowning, and somebody throws you a life preserver, if you don't grab it, you're gonna sit there and drown. But if you do grab it, built into you reaching for it is an admission that you won't make it without it. In the same way, when we reach for Jesus, when we believe in Jesus, there's an admission we can't. We can't believe in us and Jesus. So we got grace plus faith, our believing, equals right standing with the Father and right living. And it's not real popular because, like, well, I'm not living very right. So then what, what we do is we, because we love to analyze and we love introspection. If you're sitting here today and you're like, no, I don't like introspection, I challenge you, we as humans love to, we love to look inside of ourselves and we love to analyze and think about and wonder and ponder. So what we tend to do is we look at that equation and we say, so if grace plus faith equals right standing with the Father and right living, if we get to right living over here and we're like, I'm not living right. What, what doubt and the enemy says is then, are we not therefore right with the Father? We begin to question. If we're not living right, if that's part of the equation and we're not living right, we must not be right with the Father, which means we must not have believed enough. And, we, and the whole thing is caused, it's, it's actually counterproductive in our lives. We stop, we're not doing any right living anymore. Now all we're doing, we're introspecting. We're questioning and we're uncertain. We're like, ah, and we begin to fear dying. We begin to be fearful of dying because if those two statements aren't right, well, I don't want to die because I could be wrong. I could come down on the wrong side of eternity. And if you have a question about where you're going to come down on eternity, you're not sharing the gospel with anybody because you don't know if you believe the gospel. You don't know where the gospel fits. So it's imperative that we understand through Scripture What is biblically sound is where salvation comes from and how that works out in our lives. Jesus knew this situation would arise, and we looked at this the first week we talked about it. In John chapter 3, most memorized verse in all of human history is John 3 16, for God so loved the world. In that, situa- in that verse, that situation that Jesus finds himself, he's talking to Nicodemus, he explains what we now call the new birth, or being born again. Jesus uses this, the specific picture of birth. There's not an accident. This is a side note, but I think it's worth noting. Jesus, the second part of the Godhead, was at creation, He spoke the earth into existence. He spoke our solar system into existence. He spoke your eyeballs into existence. He spoke all of the creatures that exist on planet earth into existence. Do you think he understood the importance of a spoken word? Amen. Jesus understood. So when Jesus spoke he didn't misspeak. We misspeak. I misspeak all the time. Jesus didn't. So when he explained to Nicodemus about being born again, that was not an accident. It was by design. And we understand this principle of being born. When you're born, your identity is established. It's not, well, oh, hopefully they grow into who they are. no. Who they are is who they are. Your DNA is set. It's not negotiable. You can't change it. No matter what science tries to tell you, no matter what society tries to tell you, your DNA is established. No question about it. In the same way, when you're born again in the spirit, your DNA is established. But you know what's funny? When a baby is born, so my children, I'm skipping ahead. I'm in the middle of the review, Isaac. I've gotta go back to my review. I gotta finish this point, though. When my children were born, my kids didn't look anything like me or Melissa. I mean, they kinda of look like, you can look at baby pictures like, oh, they look just like me. But like, sitting there holding my baby, it's like, well, they don't really look like you. It's like, they just look like a baby. And what's funny, we, so Melinda and I, our first language is English. In fact, that's our only language. And yet, when my kids were born, they didn't speak English. Was, I was disappointed. It's like I thought this, this, my kid didn't speak English. And Melinda and I both walk. We, we walk like to get from the back of the church up here across. We walk. We use our feet and our legs. We walk. My, none of my kids walked when they were born. Like, are they going to walk? Is there hope that they're going to walk? I, I hope so. I don't know. What are we going to we eat food. My favorite food is steak. My kids were like, I don't know, they were like probably a year old before they ate steak. I don't really know. That's, I could be off by a year or months or something. But it was a while before they ate steak. That doesn't mean, but how many of you know, they were my children even though they didn't do any of the things that I did. My kids didn't read the Bible for a long, long, long time. Not that they weren't my kids. It's not that we didn't prioritize scripture, but they didn't know how to read the Bible. They didn't know how to do almost any of the things that Melinda and I do regularly in our lives. They didn't know how to wake up to an alarm clock. They figured, you know what? We'll just err on the side of wake up every hour and hope it's the time to wake up. (laughs) They don't know, there's so many things that a child doesn't know how to do, but they're still my children. Their, Their identity was not in question because their behavior was way off. Their behavior is all over the place. And what's fun is over the last seven years, my daughter has started. She reads the Bible. Her favorite food is steak and pizza. Not together, but those are her two favorite foods. So she she is my child. She likes steak. She loves to talk. And her first language was all the time. I mean, English. She loves to talk. She speaks English. She walks. She's developing all sorts of things that she got from Melinda and I. We taught her stuff. We have got, we're gonna continue teaching our children stuff. And the same is true in the body of Christ. When a, when a person is born again as a baby in Jesus, the Holy Spirit desires to teach them stuff. We don't, when we're born again, we don't walk like Jesus. We don't talk like Jesus. We don't do anything like Jesus, but that doesn't mean we're not born again. Because he, he, firmly set the precedent in John chapter 3 that it is to be born again to believe on the son is to be born again your identity is established and the rest of your earthly life will be spent learning to walk like Jesus it's a process last couple points on review here there's some conf- there's confusion in the church on exactly why our behavior matters. It's, it's not, we talked about this, it's not part of our legal right standing with the Father and a lot of Christianity has said, why bother? If it's not part of our legal right standing, then what does it matter? And we talked about that last week quite a bit. How sin in verb form, the action, which is the Greek word hamartia or missed mark, it'll cut us a check of death in all sorts of forms. We looked at this last week. Jesus took care of the nature of our sins but not Our action stuff can still pay us. How many of you know that if you live a lifestyle embracing, missed mark living, you'll experience death in relationships. You'll experience the death of your physical body. You can end up experiencing death in your physical body. You can experience, we looked at this in depth last week, the death of our witness. We're here to represent Jesus to the world and if we live like idiots, we're not representing Jesus very well. We've been given the gift of sonship. We should probably act like it. The third thing that we uh, looked at last week, last few weeks, is identity. The New Testament is replete with instructions regarding putting off the old and putting on the new. We're gonna look at another one this morning. Setting our minds on the new and setting our minds off of the old. It all stems from how we see ourselves. Do we see ourselves as just an old sinner saved by grace, or do we see ourselves as the righteousness of God created in Christ Jesus who periodically misses the mark? There's a fundamental difference in those two things. If, you're, if the caveat you proclaim over your life is, well, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace, well, then don't be surprised when you get just old sinner things out of your life. Like, that's how you see yourself. That's what you're saying about yourself. That's how you're identifying that's going to happen. So what you say about yourself What you say about who you are tremendously matters. This morning, teaching this morning, hey, I made it to the topic before 11. Thank you, Jesus. We are in for a great hour. Woo! Yes, thank you for that round of applause on the punctuality, Tom. All in love, amen. He was frustrated last week, if you guys remember, he got stuck up here playing guitar for like 40 minutes at the end because I thought I was gonna end and then it was like, it was going so well with music, I'm like, well, just keep going. His fingers are a little bitter. So the title of the teaching this morning, if you're keeping track of the title, is the gospel, comma, then what? Pace yourself. Pace yourself. I was going to call it part four, and then I'm like, well, I've done that three times. We'll do something different. Pace yourself. So the gospel in the Greek means good news, or nearly too good to be. It's like, how is that even possible? There's a couple of things just two distinct things make up this good news. Very distinct, and it's important that we know these things. Number one, we have to confess our sins. First John 1, 8 through 10, there's an express need for an admission of guilt. You, we talked about this just a minute ago. It is imperative that we understand to need a Savior, we have to, we have to say we need it. I'm not saying you got to say it with your mouth. Like, oh, I have to say it. I need, it's important too. It's good too. But The important thing is to realize in your heart, I desperately need a savior. And get to the point where the Philippian jailer was in Acts chapter 16, verse 30, where he tells Paul and Silas, he says, what must I do to be saved? I want what you guys have. We gotta get to that point. And then we can receive, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you can be saved. You will be saved. You are then saved by believing those are the two things that are required for the gospel to be true. Everything after believe, everything after believe is done, it's sought, it's learned, it's attempted, it's prayed, all as a full blood legal child of God, not in an attempt to earn it. Your child's status is established the moment of belief. You got to settle that in your heart. And there's no, it is irrevocable. It doesn't go back. You don't, it's like, well, you know what? He did kind of screw up real bad. So it's no more sonship. That's not sonship. That's being an employee or a laborer. It's very right to get fired for misbehaving. It's not super popular in 2024 to say, but if you're my employee and you burn my shop down, I will probably fire you. It's, well, you burn the building down. I mean, unless it's a, it, that's a I shouldn't have said that because it's like well, it depends on the situation. But the point is, misbehaving at work as an employee results in termination. Is this concept familiar with anybody? It's not immoral or ungodly for somebody to get fired. It's understandable. It's like I'm paying a wage. You're getting. You're receiving. I'm receiving a wage to do a thing, and if I don't do the thing, then I shouldn't receive the wage. But that's not sonship. That's not what sonship's all about. Sonship is you are my child. We are our Father in Heaven's children. When we believe, it's irrevocable. Your identity, your DNA has been established and everything that comes after belief is done as a full-blood, legally inheriting child of God, not in an attempt to earn child status. There's all kinds of things. There's baptism, water, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Neither of these save a person. They don't save you. There's communion. We can partake in communion. We got it over here on my right, your left. Part of worship. It's not, it doesn't make you a born again believer. Taking or not partaking, it doesn't make you a born. It's honoring the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's given as an instruction, a good thing to do. It's not, there's abstaining from stuff. Like, you should quit doing the things that you did before. We're going to look at some scripture for this today. But not in order, because of. There's participating in a church body. That's a great thing to do. But it ain't going to save you. And abstaining from a church body ain't going to send you to hell. Your sonship or daughtership, your child status was established at the moment you were born again the moment when you believed. As we've been learning, this New Testament has much to say about our lifestyle and the decisions we make. So that moment you were born again, your identity was established, and then what? What do we do then? Well, if you take and you do a marathon read and you start in the book of Acts, well, let's start in Romans, instructions. Acts is still a story, it's a history book. Let's start in the book of Romans. and You read Romans through Jude. We're going to leave Revelation out of that particular instruction for right now. It's a prophetic book. We're going to leave it out. Not leave it out of Scripture. Nobody throw anything at me, but we're leaving it out. You start in Romans, and you do a, a, a marathon read. You never put your Bible down. You read from Romans to the end of Jude. And you say, I'm going to do everything that it says to do. By the end, and if you start that this afternoon... By tomorrow evening, you will have, you'll have walked away from faith entirely. There's no doing it. You won't do it. You won't get it. It's all in one day. Now, I'm not saying you won't be able to read it. You'll be able to read it, but if your attempt is you're going to go do everything in there and you're going to quit doing everything that you're doing that's wrong that you read about, you're just going to, it's like there's no, us, we should just quit trying. We're not going to make it. I've done this. Anybody, I've never done it in a day, but I've done it where I read through going script. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try super, super, super hard. And I fail. But that doesn't mean that we just leave scripture out, that we leave those scriptures out. This is the temp- this is the, there's a tension that exists here. And the word that the Lord really has strongly laid on my heart for this week, and it'll probably be next week too, is this instruction to pace yourself. Because you see, you were born again by. Grace, which is unmerited, unearned favor. That grace doesn't evaporate the moment you believe. Can I get an amen? That grace is still there. You're still unmeritedly favored by the Father. He still says, you're my child, and I love you so much. Whew, that's a bit... so. The grace that got you born again that gives you that new DNA has appeared to all men. It's in your heart and it will continue to flow to you. And then as time passes and you enjoy that grace, it will start to flow through you into other people around you. We looked a couple of weeks ago at how the grace of God actually teaches us. There's an instruction in the grace of God It's so important that we understand the instructions we're given in Scripture to put off things. They matter a lot. It's important how we live. We're representing the Creator of the heavens and the earth right now. And many of the people we interact with, we're the only representation they're going to see. That's a high calling. But the temptation is to be discouraged. We can lay the template of scriptural instruction. Everybody follow that picture? Like if you were to take all the do's and don'ts in the New Testament, and you were to lay it out as a template, and you were to lay that over your life, the outline of your actual decisions and lifestyle, it'd just be discouraged. Especially discouraging when we think that our behavior determines our right standing with the Father instead of flows from it. If you think that it It is a factor in whether or not you're right with the Father. Oh, that's utterly discouraging. I'll never be right with the Father. I'll never enjoy sonship if I'm on the hook to be the son. All through the New Testament, though, there's reminders of how we're to live. And something the Lord has kind of shown me. Does anybody... This is a frank question. Anybody, you ever read the instructions found in the New Testament? The don'ts or the do's. And we're always given a list of don'ts and then a list of do's. They're always hand in hand. But you ever read those and, and there, there's a, I'm trying to think of the best way to word it. You ever think that you're the first person that struggled with something? Or, or maybe the first person to struggle with something To the degree that you struggle with it. No hands go up. Everyone's listening and no hands go up. Okay, I read scripture sometimes, and when I read scripture, I'm like, I am a terrible person because I'm not any of these do's, and I feel like I'm all of the don'ts. And then I get creative. This is a a full testimony. And Danny's smiling because he's like, I've sat through so many hours of this, and now he finally sees it. I get creative, and if I read a list of don'ts and it doesn't really hit me, I get creative. I'm like, it could, it could be, I could be, I could still make myself guilty under that. Give me a little, give me five minutes and a thesaurus, I'll be guilty under every list found in scripture. I get creative and I start looking and I'm like, I disqualify myself, and what the Lord showed me, just this week, he said, why do you think every book has instructions on how to live? I said, I don't know. I said, because every generation of Christians has needed them. I'm like, so you're not alone. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. There is something tremendously encouraging about knowing that the first generation of believers struggled with the same stuff that I struggle with. I'm not alone. That's the best news. I am not alone. That's the best news I've heard since I got born again. I am not alone. You are not alone, church. And then what I also love, every book you read, Romans, instruction. You read Galatians, Ephesians, all of Paul's letters, instructions, Peter's letters, instructions. And it's encouraging to read that and know, he said, number one, it matters to me how you live. It matters to me the decisions you make. And he said, I'm gonna make it easy for you. I'm gonna remind you over and over and over again. Has anybody in here ever flown on a commercial plane? Listen, you can raise your hand if you want a little participation. It's not going to hurt anybody. If you've flown on, if you've flown on a commercial plane, I want to ask you to finish a sentence. Please put your seat back in the upright. Oh my goodness, I didn't know you guys were all flight attendants. Okay, put your tray tables upright position also. We're going to be coming through the cabin in a few minutes. Please collect your trash. Man, you guys could all be flight attendants. Or you've just heard it (laughs) over and over and over and over and over again. Now, this is a stretch for me because I never got to hear this. And Trey is not here. He's my, he is always the one that appreciates my jokes about our education, but he'll maybe hear it later. If you hear a bell go off and you're walking a school hallway, they may know what to do. Run. You're, it's like class has just, or it's just getting ready to, it's like, I gotta go. I just heard the bell ring. I have no idea what that's like. It seems exciting. <laughs> we never did the bell, we were just always late. These... <laughs> <coughs> Thank you, Ben. As, as a human, we understand how repetition makes things just second nature. Please put your seat in the upright position. Now, no one in here, I don't think, is probably a flight attendant today. Maybe there's somebody in here as a flight attendant. But we've all, if you've been on a plane, they're so methodical about it, and they say it so often, and if the seatbelt sign is on, please keep your seatbelt fastened. It's all these things we understand. It's just, well, we just know because we've heard it over and over and over and over again. When you hear the bell, if you spent however many years a person typically goes to school, in the school you hear the bell and you're like, oh, class has started already, or I'm late. Or for some of you overachievers, you never heard the bell unless you were in your desk. You're like, I don't know what it would be like to hear it in the hallway, because I was always sitting in my spot. That wouldn't have been me. We know repetition makes things second nature. Throughout scripture, the the Holy Spirit inspired writers to write repetitively because we're very forgetful on our own. If we get one instruction, one time, like, hey, you know what? You guys probably shouldn't do this. Just one time in Scripture? Oh, number one, we'll figure out a way around it. And number two, we'll probably forget it. But if every book of the Bible talks about put off the old man, put on the new man, put off the old man, put on the new man. You were created in righteousness and true holiness. Put off the old man. You used to operate that way, now operate this way. All through Scripture, and we Read scripture in its entirety. The Holy Spirit gets every book to remind us. Remember, put your seat back in the upright position. We're coming in for a landing. Put your tray table, lock it up. You hear the bell ring. These are, these are things that are in the natural that we understand. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Remember, remember, remember. In scripture, we get repeat, repeat, repeat. Remember, remember, remember. It's a process. The very first time I flew, I was a little kid. I flew one time with three little kids. It was an experience. But when they gave the instructions in the airplane for what to do, do you know that my three kids, we had two kids at the time, they had no idea what to do. Did you know that? My kids were serious like, I don't know, what do you mean? Put your seat back in the upright position. They'd never heard it before. They had no concept of what to do. But they didn't throw them off the plane for it. They didn't say, you know what? If you ever want to fly again, you better figure it out. No. As a, has anybody ever heard that spiritually? If you want to be a Christian, you better figure it out. It's like, no. As a child in Christ, as a newborn child in Christ, as a child growing up, I've flown with kids that were 10, 12, 13, 14, and they probably flew before, and they're like still don't know what to do. And so they're sitting there with their seat back, the only person in the whole row And then the flight attendant comes along and they're super kind. They're like, excuse me, could you put your seat back up? And they're like, what do you mean? Push that little button and it'll come. Oh, okay. They just remind them of it. In the church, we've lost that picture. We're like, seat backs, upright position. If you don't understand that, you probably better leave. And we're like, oh, I don't think I understand it. We've gotten so legalistic with this stuff and we've lost the principle That this is a process. We need to pace ourselves. I assure you, if I were to fly with my children today, they would still have no idea what the instructions meant. But I'd help them. I'd help them. I'd come along and I'd say, This is what you do. You push this button and then it goes up. And then there's a very high probability that Rhett would sit there going up and down, 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 up and down. (laughs) Learning to live like a son is not an overnight deal. Jesus and his disciples, they walked everywhere they went. They didn't have cars. They didn't, you don't see any real instances of them running. You don't see Jesus running like, oh, we gotta get there. We're gonna miss the, whatever, no, He just walked. Life was meant to be lived at the pace of a walk. Jerry tried his best to teach me that years ago and it, some of it took, it's still taking That life is meant to be lived at the pace of a walk. If you got your Bibles, you want to turn over with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read a couple of chunks of Ephesians. We're not going to leave this book today. We're going to stay right here. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Ephesians has got a bunch of instructions for us as believers. As new covenant Christians who were born again, remember Ephesians is where we find Ephesians 2 8, 9, and 10, it talks about for by grace you've been saved. It's a verse that Nick read earlier. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But, verse 10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. No, you're not saved by them, but we're created for them, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's where we find this. This is a great little sketch of this new covenant living But we skip down we read verse 19 of chapter 2. We see, now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. Now what? I should have explained this first. We're going to pause here. What Paul's explaining is in Paul's day, there was a line between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And the Gentiles were like, we're far from God. We're all, there's a gap between us and the people that have a covenant with God. And Paul was sent to the Gentile people, which is you and I today, to the Gentiles, the, not the Jewish people that were, that Jesus was one, the, most of the disciples were Jewish people, they had this connection with God. They already had a covenant. They had a pre-existing covenant with God. And Paul was sent to the Gentiles. And so he's explaining this, this kind of this wall of separation has been brought down here. Verse 19, "'Therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, "'but now you are fellow citizens with saints. "'You are members of the household of God, "'having been built on the foundation "'of the apostles and prophets, "'Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone.'" in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now, there's a couple of words in there. This is, he's explaining how the Gentiles as a nation, which is anybody who was not a Jew, is being brought close to God, and you're now, if you believe in Jesus, he just established this earlier in two, now you you're saved by grace through faith, and now you're being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now there's a couple words in here I want to look at. In verse 21, you see, in whom the whole building being, being fitted together, being is not past tense. Tense matters. Matters whether it's past tense, present tense, future tense. This is present tense. Being fitted together grows present and future tense into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are also he goes on and clarifies it a little bit clearer in verse 22 in whom you also are being built together for the dwelling place of God in the spirit it's not to say that the spirit's not going to move in until you're perfect that's not what that's saying at all it it paints the picture of a process there's a very clear picture of a process. If anyone in here has ever been part of something being built, there's a couple of people that that's largely all they've done. It's a process. You don't just wake up tomorrow and you're like, uh, I would like to build a new house. I pick up the phone. I say, Joel, hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm working. What are you doing? I want to build a new house. Do you think we could move in tomorrow? Like, go back to bed, Isaac. <laughs> click, click. I don't even, he didn't even have the time. It was like, it's eight in the morning on a Monday. I don't have, this week would not be enough to explain to you how off you are. Thinking you're gonna call a contractor on a Monday morning and want to move in on a Tuesday to a new house. It's, I'm guessing, uh, correct, Joel, what's, this is, I'm putting you on the spot. If I wanted to build a new house tomorrow, what kind of a timeline? Is it minimum of a month, minimum of Six months. excuse me, he said a year for anyone that wasn't listening. I guess I should have talked to you six months ago. I'm kidding. I'm not building a new house. There's a process that takes place. They're sitting down and talking about how many rooms you want. And then even once you get all your prints done and you're like, okay, we're ready to move forward. It's like, okay, now we'll go dig a hole. It's like, so then we're going to like, be soon no then we're going to pour concrete and then we're going to start building and then we're going to start backfilling. we're going to backfill all the dirt and then we'll start putting wood up and then we'll and it's this whole big long process and you can drive by a house and you think wow that house is about done and then you open the door and it's like oh this is nowhere near done there's nothing finished inside there's this whole process that takes place we understand that in the natural don't we can I get an amen? In the natural, we understand. It takes time. You ever take your vehicle to get service and are like, hey, you know what? turns out you need an engine overhaul. You're like, so tomorrow then Till I get it back? And they're like, no, 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 six weeks. There's a process that takes place. As a believer, you we get born again in a moment. And then the rest of our lives is a process of being shaped and molded and carved into the person that Jesus has for us to be. Oh, there's so many things I want to get into. Living the lifestyle of a son, it takes time. We walk with the Lord hand in hand. We allow the Spirit of God to explain Scripture to our hearts. He will reveal the whys of so many things. Um, I could come up here and, and preach a sermon. We could read, and we're gonna we're gonna read a chunk of Ephesians chapter four. And I could I could read to you this chunk of scripture. I could have a bullet points. Everybody try not to do these things. Everybody should just try. You could write them in your book. You could have like a notebook. You could write all these things. You could stick them on your mirror at home. You could say, the preacher said don't do that. And then we could get our spouses to remind us of it. That'd be a real blessing, wouldn't it? They say, hey, you remember what the preacher said? Don't do that. Amen. But you know, if we don't understand the why, we ain't gonna do it very long. We're certainly not gonna continue to seek it when we fail. But if we understand the why, we'll pursue right living for the rest of our life even if we fail for the rest of our life because we understand the why and the Holy Spirit is the only one who can explain to you in your heart the why turn to Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 24 we have a couple points yet to get to I'm excited about them Ephesians chapter 4 picking up in verse 11 this is Paul's instruction to the church in Ephesus, he's explaining unity and he's explaining gifts. So verse 11, he says, he himself, being this is Paul talking about Jesus, gave some, some of us as believers, to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, Verse 12, for what purpose? For the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Carried about by the trickery of men. Carried about in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But... Instead of being carried about by all those things, speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ Jesus, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. In the King James, we memorize that, supplieth, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself. In love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the blindness of their hearts, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all sorts of uncleanness with greediness. But you, you have not so learned Christ, if indeed, You've heard him, you've been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That's a good chunk of scripture. There's a lot in that for us. There's a process, there's a picture of process continued in that. There's this challenge like, you used to think this way, but now grow up. You've been invited, you've been given a new identity in Jesus. I love in verse 16, from whom? Jesus Christ, from Jesus Christ, the whole body, that's all of us and more, joined and knit together by what every joint supplieth. According to the effective working by which every part does its share, it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This is such a clear picture of our opportunity that is before us to participate in the body of Christ. And and in this, the thing I want to draw out this morning, if you've ever been a part of something in a church, there's a chance that you've messed up. Or at least I have. I'm sure at least one of you has done that also. Where it's like you've like, I'm gonna do this for church, and then it's like you drop the ball. Can I get an O oh, me at least? Maybe not an O oh, amen, but an O oh, me. Where Ah and then we can bring our we can bring into ourselves condemnation. No one we talked about this last week, no longer fit for use. Cause see. Because see, I tried one time. I did this thing with this bunch of believers at this church a long time ago and then and I didn't, it didn't work out. And see, so now I shouldn't do things at church. Anybody ever been there? That might sound a little elementary, but I guarantee I've spoken with many people in here. We've all done our time there where we're like, no, no. Because this one time I was at this one church and these one people, they did something and it really hurt my feelings or I hurt their feelings or we got upset or this didn't work out. And So it's like, I'm gonna be done with my church stuff. And in this picture, we see Paul inviting us. It's a process. As we supply, as every one of us supplies, as we're knit together, which is also a process my grandma used to knit, and it wasn't anything that happened overnight. And she was good, but it was a process. There was, It took time. There was a rhythm. There's an art to it. As the Holy Spirit knits us together, there's some times that we'll have to Undo some stuff. The Holy Spirit will have to undo some things in our lives. But it's a process. The Holy Spirit invites us to participate in this together. This brings, this brings, uh, brings me to the last point that I want to make this morning. The living like a child of God is a process. We've established that. It takes time, right? Everybody say, it takes, time. It, takes time. it takes time. It takes time. Thank you, Jesus. It takes time. It's good to know we've got time. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what's going on in your life. We've got time for the Holy Spirit to work us together, to knit us together bit by bit. But along with time, it requires boldness and humility working together. This picture, and it's actually also found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, we see, well, you read verse 20, it says, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Um, this part that we just read about in Ephesians 4, where we're, we're learning to walk together, we're learning to enjoy the process of being knit together. Enjoy the process of learning the things to not do anymore. This is a thing we all got to do together. But for that to work, we have to have both boldness and humility. We have to have the boldness to share truth and the humility to receive it. And it can't just be like, okay, well, Tom's gonna have the boldness and I'll have the humility. So he'll just tell me what's wrong with my life and then I'll just receive it with humility. That's, that doesn't work, that works one time, but it doesn't work for decades. There has to be both boldness and humility in my life and boldness and humility in his life for us to be able to sharpen as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpeneth another, to grow and to walk and to see each other molded more and more into the image and the likeness of Jesus there has to be boldness and humility in both people. And in this body of believers here, we have to have boldness to speak the truth to one another and humility to receive the truth from one another. And, and what I, I think what concerns me at, for us, as a, I'm not, it doesn't concern me like I'm looking at us, I'm like, oh boy, ever, like your parents ever tell you, like, I'm, I'm really concerned about you. It's like, oh, what's wrong with me? That's not what I mean. What concerns me about this whole concept in our culture today, this is the last point of this morning, but our culture today has become one of non committal, like no other culture has ever seen. What do I mean by that? Well, our culture today, and, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and I'm gonna keep hammering on this. If you, I invite you to leave offense, if there's an opportunity in anything that I've said this morning to be offended, I invite you to leave it underneath your seat. We'll collect all the offenses after church. We're not doing, this isn't, an. I'm not encouraging anybody to be offended. There's going to be things, the opportunity for offense in this kind of a message is everywhere, and I'm encouraging you to not take it. We're learning to walk this together. We're learning to Edify and encourage each other. There's going to be there's stuff in my heart where I'm like, I need to grow in this area, and there's going to be stuff in all of our hearts that's like, ah, I need to grow in that. But it's not a negative thing. It's an invitation for an opportunity. So that continues with this point. Nobody be offended by this. We're just talking through this. Our culture today has become non-committal to the point that we expect to be able to quit a job after a week of work with no real. It's like, why I had the job. It's like I don't really want to do the job anymore. In fact. Most, a lot of people in my generation, they don't feel the need to even like, I'm just going to not go to work anymore. I just won't go. I'm not going to quit because that could be uncomfortable. Whereas if I just ignore calls from work and don't show up, I just won't work there anymore. Our culture expects to be able to dissolve a marriage at any point in the marriage for any reason we deem it necessary with no consequence. No side effects, just like, we're done. Marriage is fun. It's not fun anymore, so I'm out. Parenting is increasingly viewed as optional with abortion on the rise for the last 50 years. Friendships end every single day over increasingly petty disagreements, even over social media stuff, which is virtual. It's not even real things. And people will end friendships and relationships like, "Well, did you see what someone so posted? So you're not going to do life with them anymore. It's become acceptable to move from church to church to church to church to church. It's grown in popularity in the last 40 years. Across the board, our culture today in 2024 has become one of the least committed cultures in human recorded history. We don't do commitment. We don't do uh, loyalty. It's like, I don't know. It depends on how the wind's blowing as to what I'm going to do and where I'm going to go. We've learned to give people the benefit in the negative, the benefit of, of accusation, not the benefit of the doubt. You, you ever hear that where you hear? Think about this. If somebody comes up to you after church and you're like, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Something bad. Fill in the blank. I'm not going to give like ideas. Did you hear about so-and-so? Our knee-jerk thing today, even if we know them really well, is so often to believe the negative. Ah, oh, boy. I mean, I never would have seen it, but now that you say it, without ever going to the source of that, without ever saying, you know what, man, I've been friends with them for years. That doesn't seem like their character. I'm going to I'm gonna have to talk to them before I believe you on that. You, say, you might be sitting here today and you're thinking, how does this have anything to do with what we're talking about? Here's how it has to do with what we're talking about. This lack of commitment has a tremendous effect on our ability to give and receive discipleship. We will never be given authentic license to speak into each other's lives if we are not committed to walk with them on this path of life. If you think there's a chance that whoever's bringing a word to you will be gone next week, that word is effectively gone today. If, if I come to Tom and I'm like, man, I'm picking on you, Tom, because you're sitting right there and you're blue, it catches my eye, it's just easy to pick on you. If I come to Tom and I'm like, listen, I it really feel strongly about this. I've noticed this. I just want to share this with you in your life. Like, I love you and I care about you. If he thinks there's a chance that by, I don't know, the end of March, we're no longer friends, I'm out of his life, why would he receive from me? Better to just shut the door and say, okay, so we're done being friends? You, you want to speak into my life, especially with any kind of, oh, this is, take a deep breath, any kind of correction. I can't receive it. Because I don't know, you might quit on me. Anybody ever had somebody quit on you? It's like nobody's raising their hand, but all of you have your hand up. There's nothing in life like being quit on somebody you counted on, somebody you thought was going to be there, you thought they was going to be there, and then they quit. I'm not talking about like you had an employee and they quit. That could be the context, but I'm talking about somebody in your life that you like went to, you've trusted in, you've confided in, you've leaned on, you've counted on them being there, and then you find out that they either betrayed you or they went to somebody else or they just stopped showing up for you or you see them, the, the famous thing, and you ever see somebody and you, they don't know that you can see them and you call them? Somebody called me, I'm gonna take that call. And, you just, and, and you, somebody sees you, the person calling you sees you, and they're like, that's a rejection like you, and there may be a very good reason, but it's like you just feel this like, ah. Oh. And then if you find out later, they're like, oh yeah, I didn't see you called. Like, I literally saw you call. To be, to be quit on is devastating. As a body of believers, there is an opportunity before us today. We, this is a process, this, this new man, this sonship lifestyle that's all through Scripture is a process that requires each other. We just read about it in Ephesians, and I encourage you to go home and read the book of Ephesians. Read it every day this week if you want. You'll learn all kinds of fun things. But all through the book of Ephesians and all through the New Testament is this need that we walk together together. This isn't Christianity, one guy, lone wolf in it. That's not it. It's about walking together. It's like mountain climbing. You don't mountain climb alone. You mountain climb with people. There's a support system, and that support system is so fragile. In our culture today, that support system is so fragile. We have to prove that we're going to be there with each other, and This has gotten this confusing thing where it's like, so we just say everybody's everything is okay. No, you don't have to agree with someone to be there for them. But I promise you, if you ever want to help them walk out of wherever they are, you have to be there for them. You have to be there for them. The only way that submitting to one another in the fear of God that Paul instructs in Ephesians chapter five, the only way that that happens is if we prove that we're there for each other. We're not going anywhere. The early church, yeah, if we think we will, if we think somebody's gonna walk away from us at the drop of a hat, we aren't likely to give heed to their words and this is for all of us, no matter what context their delivery or what scripture they lace with it. Sometimes we think, this is what has gotten me, and I think this is what has given Christianity such a black eye. What we, what we contend to do, and I'm gonna just, this is just a picture for everybody to just think about this. This is just like a, like a skit, if it were, where... I'm reading through scripture, reading, 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 and I find a verse, and I immediately think of somebody that I know that I think is wrapped up in whatever that verse is talking about. Anybody ever done that? By a show of hands, you ever done it? Reading, it's like, oh boy, that's Jane. I know that's Jane. In fact, in fact, I need to confront Jane with this verse. And so I go to Jane, and I'm like, Jane, Ephesians chapter four, verse 29 says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but only what is good for building others up, for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. I don't think you've been doing that. And then I walk away. I've just done. But what we do in Christianity, and I picked on Jane because I know that number one, I'll hear about it later, and number two, she can handle it. The scripture that we read and we're like, I got I to gotta speak the truth in love. Whew. I got to speak the truth in love because I know Jane, I, need, I know she needs Ephesians 4, 29, she's been, there's been some corrupt words, and I'm gonna bring correction in her life. And then I'm just, I'll walk away. It's like, I don't have any, I don't, I did my job. The church has done this for so long, we read scripture, and we're like, I'm gonna, well, I'm gonna bring correction, and I'm gonna lace some scripture in there, so what are you gonna say? That's what the Bible says, Jane. What are, you, are you gonna say that you haven't been? I'm picking on you a lot, but... You see, that's what we've done. And so what happens is Jane's like, I'm not ever going to talk to him about anything. And I probably don't need to be around him ever. I, don't, I didn't feel, there was no love. We've never, we've talked like briefly like three or four times at church at this point. It's like, I don't, uh, I don't, I, he's not, what in the world? He didn't even ask about what was going on. He didn't have any, just like brought that, like we're going to bring that correction. This has given Christianity this thing where it's like, so what we do is we come together and we're like, I don't want to go anywhere where anybody tells me anything about any kind of part of life. So we'll call it my safe space. We'll just be safe at church because nobody will ever say anything to us about anything, any area of life. And the net result of that is we're never going to change. We have to grow in our culture to the point where we're studying Scripture, where we're able to speak into each other's lives, not everybody just telling everybody what's wrong with themselves. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being so committed and walking in life together where we open ourselves up. I had a conversation with a fellow believer this last week. Listened to the sermon from this past week and I asked him, I said, can you give me any pointers? He's like, oh no, I thought it was really good. I said, no. Can you give me pointers? He's like, well. I said, what would you change? What can you encourage me? What can you speak? He gave me three things that I need to work on in my sermons. And I obliged him by not doing any of them this morning. He gave me three, and I did not listen. But all those three things, it was like, at first, first delivery, I'm like, really? And my gut was like, I want, like, you don't understand like, what, I was, what I was trying to get at was this. And he's like, I'm not, I'm like, he said, I don't want to offend you. I said, you're not going to offend me. We're going to talk about this and I want you to speak into my life. And the reason that guy gets to speak into my life is because he's been there and 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 he's been there forever and he's never going anywhere so he gets to speak into my life he gets to say things he gets to say you know that was a little this didn't really connect with me and i'm not going to get offended because i get to speak into his life there's this reciprocity which means it goes back and forth we get to go back and forth in each other's lives we get to hear correction when we when the relationship is there Without a relationship, we better not be giving each other correction. We're just going to push each other away. We need to establish relationship. Build these relationships, and if we build them biblically, they will withstand everything Scripture gives us. The early church. This is something I want to. That this is super not popular. If anybody wants to go during this, is totally fine. I will not be offended. But this last thing, the early church had an advantage over the American church. See, unity is not difficult to walk in when they're beheading people. It's not hard. If they're persecuting the church, and they're often people, and I mean, like, this happened. This happened all the time in the first century. And don't anybody, don't anybody be just, like, confused and think Isaac's believing for persecution. I am absolutely not believing for persecution. I'm simply talking about something that early church had that we don't. They were persecuted on the regular all the time. And in that environment, there wasn't a lot of fair weather fans. Does it cost you too much? You're not going to be a fair weather fan. If there's a chance that they're going to chop off your head, if you don't actually believe it, I'm not going to that. Because what if the Roman soldiers come in and they drag us out one by one and they literally lop our heads off? It's like, that's not a risk I'm willing to make for just a social club. They they trusted each other. It's like, if you're here, you're here. Like, you're all into here. If you're here in the early church in the first century, when you hear knocking on doors and you, everything's completely secretive, like we're trying to not get executed by the government, there's a there is a loyalty and there is a, a unity that is unmistakable. Today, it's a little more difficult. There's a definite strategic advantage of unity during hard times. Does, everybody, does that make sense to everybody? Like, it's strategic. It makes sense. During hard times, it's like we gotta, be, we gotta stand together. Today, We don't have that, thank you Jesus. I'm not believing for that, okay? But we gotta prioritize this unity stuff. We gotta make decisions and it might be hard decisions in your gut and say, you know what? I'm gonna cast my lot in with them and we are going to be, we're gonna walk together. And I don't agree with everything that they're doing. I'm not maybe certain that I'm lined up with everything that they're standing for in their life right now but I want to do life with them for the rest of it. We have to prioritize commitment, demonstrating that we intend to walk with our fellow believers. And that is how we pace ourselves together. We stay together. I ran um, Collective Gasp everyone's like, oh, you ran? Was someone chasing you? Yes. <laughs> there was a bunch of people. At uh, Thanksgiving, I ran the turkey trot. It's a four-mile race. Felt like 4,000 miles, which I found out later most of the people had trained something of more than a day before. But I ran, <laughs> I ran that race with a friend of mine, and we started out, and it was like, I started out, I'm like, I can. I was start off running. It's like, well, like we didn't really do any training, so maybe we should pace ourselves. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, we talked probably three quarters of that race. I use race very liberally. This was did not look. If you'd have seen me, you wouldn't have thought I was racing. You'd have thought he's going to be with Jesus any step now. <laughs> you wouldn't have thought, he's racing, he's going to win. It's like, he's not going to win, he doesn't even look like he's racing. But we did, that four miles, we paced ourselves. And there was two different points in a four mile race. Okay, telling the truth, there was about a thousand points, but there was two specific points where I was going to quit. I thought, this is, I should just quit. I'm not going to keep running. And there was points for them too, where they was going to quit. Well, neither one of us said when we were going to quit. And so neither one of us quit. We ran the whole thing. We were I mean running very slowly. Run is like race. I use it very loosely. It's like <laughs> there was we was running running Again, you would have been like I don't know if that's a run, Isaac. That's pretty But we were running and we never broke pace that whole race. If I would have been alone, I promise you I would have walked about 3 miles. We were together. So we kept pace. We kept encouraging each other. Just like, it was at the end. This was probably it at the end. But we went across the finish line. And it's like, we never ran the whole year, and we ran four miles, and we kept going. And I was like, I, I saw that picture when I looked at this, and I'm like, as a church, what a clear picture of us running this life. It's so much harder to quit If you know somebody else is there with you, let's keep walking. Let's keep the pace together. Pace ourselves. This isn't, we're not going to be molded in the image of Jesus by this afternoon. You know that? It's all in here. You got something you're struggling with. Tom, could you come play a little guitar? I promise. No more than 10 minutes. There's. There's all kinds of instructions in here that pertain to all of us, specifically some of them. You might have some scripture where you're like, oh boy, I struggle to read that because it reads my mail. But as you read scripture, you're going to be molded more and more, little by little, into the image and the likeness of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The way that it takes place is line upon line and precept upon precept. As we study scripture and as we study it together, as we encourage one another, as we walk with each other, as we show up for each other, as we answer the phone, as we make the phone calls. That's how we do this. That's how we pace ourselves. And if we get ourselves into that spot, we find that rhythm, we find that pace just like my four mile run. Find that pace. And you'll run. And you'll find it harder to quit. You'll find it easier to keep running. You'll be encouraged and you'll be able to encourage. There'll be times that you're corrected and you know, being corrected by somebody that you knows that you know loves you, that's all right. That's all right. To receive something from somebody that you know they've got my best interest and they're not going anywhere. That's a good thing. The Holy Spirit will lead us in that. He will lead us in it only and always through the word of God you would stand with me. I want to dismiss us with a declaration and a prayer. This morning at Revelation Rock, we declare that we are stewards. We're learning to rightly divide the word of truth by the power of the Holy Spirit. We declare that because of Jesus, we are children of God, chosen to represent this glorious gospel to the world around us. We're filled with his spirit and we're confident in his promise We step into our world with the boldness of lions, eager to share Jesus with each of our circles. This morning, we declare that we are blessed. We are highly favored of the Lord. We're blessed when we rise and when we lie down. We're blessed in the city and we're blessed in the country. The greatest reality in our world today is the promise of God to never leave us and to never forsake us. It's on this promise that we rest, knowing that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Bow with me if you would. Father, I thank you so much. Ah, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that it is your goodness that brings us to repentance, to a changed heart, as you wrote in, through Paul and Romans. Father, we thank you so much that you've promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you that no matter what we face this week, We do not face it alone. God, I thank you that you are faithful. You will never fail. When we're faithless, you remain faithful. Father, I thank you so much for salvation, for the gift of God in each of our lives. We declare the blessing of Abraham over this body as we go from this place. Safety and a hedge of protection in the boldness of lions, in Jesus' name, amen. You guys are dismissed, have a wonderful week.